Let me immediately go to Professor Shabir Mahdi, um, who, as I said, he's, he's doing a number of things. He's currently serving as the chair of the National Advisory Group Immunization in South Africa, director of uh, the Medical Research Council Respiratory and Meningeal um, Pathogens uh, Research Unit and Research Chair at the Department of Science and Technology, National Research Foundation in Vaccine uh, Preventable Diseases at the University of uh, the Witwatersrand. Uh, Prof, good evening. Um, I find it amazing. I, I guess you don't find any time to sleep whatsoever. Oh. Well, I'm trying to get some sleeping. <laughs> good evening, uh, Prof, and thank you for chatting to me once again. I also made the comment earlier or the gaffe earlier on that you and I should, uh, you should start invoicing us for co-hosting. I've been chatting to you so much lately. Um, <laughs> Prof, let's jump straight into it. I mean, there's there's a couple of things that we can unpack here very quickly, but I think just in terms of you and I have been speaking for quite some time, I, I take it that you have not really moved from your overall perspective thus far when it comes to how we're dealing with the lockdown, what the aim of the lockdown initially was and what the lockdown should be doing at this particular point in time. Or have you somewhat changed it? Are you happy with us moving to level three? Some of the restrictions that we've seen lifted. Are, are you are you comfortable with it? So, Gashul, I think the reality is, and as the president pronounced himself this evening, is that it's not the lockdown or what level of the lockdown that's going to determine how quickly we start seeing the virus spread. It's really going to be the behavior of the citizens of the country. Mm. Uh, so I think what government is doing is taking a cautious approach, and perhaps correctly so. But I think what you also need to be clear about is that the number of cases are going to be increasing throughout South Africa. And it's got little to do with the lockdown and the level of the lockdown. It's got to do with the natural evolution of the virus mm. in terms of how it spreads and what it's anticipated to uh, eventually result in. So the initial lockdown, the level five lockdown, had a very specific uh, focus. And it certainly wasn't to eliminate the virus. And it's not sustainable in any place in the world to be at level five until the virus goes away. Mm. Because the reality, as we discussed previously, is that this virus is going to be with us at the best case scenario until the end of 2021 causing outbreaks. The worst case scenario, it might be with us even longer. It is going to be with us beyond that. But it will become less of a nuisance once a sufficient percentage of the population has developed some level of immunity, uh, either because of natural infection or by virtue of being vaccinated. I hear you, um, uh, Prof, and obviously there's many things that we have to balance in this particular process. Now, I am going to have a conversation about this one because it's something that confuses me a little bit, and I think it's something that we also have to discuss from a health perspective. Now, of course, you being a, a, you know, a medical doctor by profession, um, you know, to all the way through to being a, a, a professor in this particular uh, space. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you're not going to sit here this evening and encourage people to smoke or to have cigarettes because you understand that this is something that's dangerous for them, but ultimately, you know, for your health in, in the long term. But the one thing that I'm completely flabbergasted by to, to this point is the fact that we're sitting here and we're in a situation whereby it is okay for people to go out to a bottle store on certain days at certain times, purchase alcohol for themselves, go home and consume it at home, but smoking still remains banned. Is there, still, is there a medical rationale for that? Because, um, you know, I've spoken to a number of people and what a number of them have said, medical professionals 
um, such as yourselves is the fact that, listen, what we have here is obviously um, something that has an imp- impact on you in terms of your health in the long term, but it's not as if you're going to light up a cigarette today and end up in ICU tomorrow. So does this actually make sense? And is it a good thing for the country? Well, there's two parts to that. So the first part is that uh, the data uh, globally shows that individual staff smokers have got the twofold greater risk of developing severe disease, and they also got a heightened risk of actually dying because of COVID-19. So there is an association between smoking and the risk of developing severe disease. Mm. Whether that is caused, and that, that is most likely because of the underlying lung problems that resolve in people that have been chronic smokers. The question is whether uh, stopping smoking abruptly is going to sort of have any sort of effect in terms of reversal of the underlying conditions which many smokers have. And that's what I was going to ask next. Yeah, the answer to that is probably not. Uh, Because those sort of lung changes take time to basically heal if if it ever heals completely. Mm. Uh, So I think there's a case to be made that if you're allowing people to buy alcohol, why not allow them to buy cigarettes? And I think the reality that we've experienced and from what I've read in the press as an example is that the majority of smokers are still getting access to cigarettes through the black market. Uh, so I'm not sure how much has been achieved and how much uh, sort of value there is to have the sort of a barrier to people actually accessing sm- uh, cigarettes uh, legally when they're pretty much able to seem to be able to access it fairly freely on a black market. Uh, and and Prof, what worries me a bit, I'm sorry for interjecting there, but what also worries me quite a bit is also the products that people are accessing because also uh, the evidence that we're seeing, at least at very minimum anecdotal ev- evidence that we're seeing at this stage is the fact that people are accessing black market cigarettes that don't seem to go through the rigorous um, a form of, of, of regulation that many of the mainstream brands that you can buy at your local, uh, you know, at your, at, at your local, uh, garage or at your local, uh, supermarket, the stuff that everyone is sort of aware of, the name brands that people are aware of. It seems that a lot of these things aren't regulated in a similar way. So my question is, aren't we then inevitably pushing those smokers, 90% of who were surveyed, who still continue to smoke, who still continue to access their cigarettes via the black market, aren't we exposing those people to further health risks? Because quite frankly, they, 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 they're smoking nonsense. Well, so I'm obviously not an expert on cigarettes and smoking, but I think what you're saying makes perfect sense. Uh, is that if it is coming to the black market, it's going to be less real that's well regulated in terms of its safety or whatever safety you can have when it comes to smoking cigarettes. Uh, and those, I think, are fair points. So, I mean, moving forward, um, you and I chatted about this the last time about children and the impact that this has on children or that uh, COVID-19 has on children. I think that the consensus or the understanding thus far is, is that, look, it's not as if, you know, children are in the lowest possible risk category, especially those uh, 10 and under. Um, which which obviously is great. I think for a lot of parents, it comes as welcome relief. Um, in terms of schools opening up, I know that there's all kinds of regulations coming into place that um, those children in exit grades, so grade 7 and grade 12 respectively, they're the ones going back on the 1st of June. Um, but the big concern is also how much access these young people are getting to the curriculum, how much of the curriculum needs to be cut down as a result of the extended period that they've had at home um, is this something that we can start accelerating, getting them back to school, assuming that all the necessary PPEs for, for the kiddies in school is in place? 
Um, is it a program that we can accelerate in seeing younger people going back to school as soon as possible? So, Goshen actually had this discussion almost more than two weeks ago, and even the grandma was saying there needs to be an acceleration of getting children back to school, even at that point. And there's very little reason for children not to be getting back to school. Uh, the global evidence essentially shows that it's not only children under the age of 10. In fact, it's children under the age of 18 wow. that really have very little risk of developing severe disease. So children will get infected. They'll get infected whether they're at home or whether they're in the school. They're going to get infected. But the big issue is not about getting infected. The big issue is what percentage of individuals are going to develop severe disease. And when it comes to children... Out of every thousand children, even if that's one mm. that develops severe disease, that will be a lot. Unlike in adults, out of every thousand adults over the age of 18, probably about 25 or so would develop severe disease over a period of about two years. In children, the figure is nominal. But it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. But what I'm saying is that it doesn't mean that you've got your child at home, that your child isn't going to get infected. Because the children at home essentially are getting infected by parents, by other adults from that household, that are going out and mingling in society. So children are going to get infected irrespective of whether they're at home or whether they're at school. But most importantly, it's a really, really going to develop severe disease unless they've got underlying medical conditions that, that increases the predisposition to developing severe disease. And those conditions are also very few and far apart in South Africa. Prof, the next issue is obviously that age-old um, debate that we uh, you know, are all concerned that, that uh, crops up at this time of the year. It's the 24th of May, by the way, today. I understand there's a massive cold front coming in. I heard that from um, uh, Zach van Yerden before in the show before, that there's a massive cold front coming in. And usually with the, the, the a cold front hitting, especially this part of the country, uh, that's when you generally see um, a higher rate of infections, whether it be colds or flus or things that people catch. Um, and, and obviously that's not a great situation either. But we also know that the unfortunate thing is if you have COVID-19 along with your uh, seasonal flu or you know your seasonal cold that that is definitely also not a good situation to be in um, I mean and, and the numbers are increasing quite phenomenally at this stage we understand that level 3 also is not meant to stem the tide per se or that none of these levels were meant to t- uh, stem the tide but are we facing a worrisome time over the next couple of days or next couple of months at least the next couple of weeks to months here. So unfortunately, that is the reality. And in fact, one of the reasons why the rest of the might be seeing a surge before the rest of the country is that there's a similar pattern that plays out with other respiratory viruses, including influenza virus, including another virus known as respiratory sensitive virus, which usually starts off first in the Western Cape before actually making its way upward into the inland parts of the country. Mm. Uh, and it might well be that that's the, one of the possible reasons why the Western Cape is uh, sort of experiencing an earlier surge than the rest of the country. And it's usually two to three week lag. So what you're saying essentially is that there is going to be a convergence, unfortunately, of the seasonal influenza virus and uh, COVID-19. Uh, based on the projections that have been made, and I'm sure you saw the modelers that projected that we're probably looking at the surge in the worst case scenario around about the end of July. But that is really down about the time when seasonal influenza virus circulates as well. Uh, unfortunately, what one of the negative effects of opening schools uh, is that 
it's actually strongly associated with, with schools uh, when, mm. the, when the virus starts circulating in the country. But we don't close schools each year because of that. So there's no reason for us to be doing that this time around. And I think there's been sufficient sacrifices that have been made by children in terms of uh, what's happened with, the, with regard to the response to COVID-19. Uh, but that, unfortunately, is a reality that we're going to need to face up with. Our hospitals are going to be overwhelmed. And there's no country in the world that can basically rebuild an entire healthcare system over a period of one to two months. So the government has done what it's able to do within the period of mm. time that it fought by delaying the, by delaying the peak of COVID-19. But I think we need to accept that our hospitals, unfortunately, are going to be overwhelmed. And then again, it comes back to citizens in terms of how quickly those hospitals become overwhelmed. If we allow the virus to transmit rapidly by mm. not adhering to those non-pharmaceutical interventions, the hand washing, wash, the, hand washing the surgical face mask, the, physical, the non-surgical face mask, and the physical distancing, if we don't adhere to that, if we don't avoid overcrowding, we're going to see an acceleration of this virus as well as influenza. And that is really going to cripple the system. I mean, I, I find it I, I find it absolutely fascinating the the position that we find ourselves in because now we're sort of moving and, and de-escalating the um, uh, the lockdown regulations, whereas there seems to be an acceleration a of COVID nineteen cases as we speak, and b also the influenza, which becomes a secondary uh, concern or second issue along with that as well. Um, and then I mean that that for me really just stands out ultimately, but. The key question for me, I mean, Prof, I've, I've spoken to you now for a number of weeks, and I mean, I can literally say for a number of weeks about this. Um, you've been you you've been consistent in what you've been saying about COVID nineteen, about the lockdown, about the role that government has played in all of this. I'm looking at this. You're the chair of the National Advisory Group Immunization in South Africa, the director of Medical Research Council Respiratory and uh, Meningeal uh, Pathogens Research Unit as well as, you know, all of the other things that you're doing at Wits University as, as well. I mean, you, you're not in those positions just, I don't know, for, 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 uh, for fun and games, as, as we would say colloquially. Uh, you're there because you're an expert and you know what you are talking about. Is government actually listening to yourself, your colleagues and everyone else in the medical space and saying, but guys, uh, we, we have a country that is actually literally limping at the stage it is, um, we've been serious problems when it comes to at least our economy, when it comes to our state of education as a result of COVID-19. Um, all the evidence is pointing back to the fact that, you know what, we might as well start opening up again. Uh, this is as far as we can actually go with some of our precautions. And after that, there's not much else we can do. And it's up to the citizens themselves. We should focus on education. Are people within government actually then turning around and listening to professionals such as yourself, in all honesty? Yeah, so actually, I think this evening's address by the president was much more reflective in terms of the reality. Uh, and I think there is a realization in government uh, that lockdown has served its purpose and that, in fact, the indirect impact of the lockdown in terms of its negative effects might well exceed any direct uh, effect that the lockdown will have in mitigating COVID-19. And that is where we really are. So you correctly said, it seems contradictory that as the number of cases are increasing, we're actually going to a lower level of the lockdown. But it's really not much else that the lockdown is going to achieve. Even going back to level five, unless we're saying that we're wanting to be at level five for the next two years, 
which is not practical under any circumstances, especially for countries such as South Africa. I, we don't have any options. And the stringent lockdowns that have been engaged in, unfortunately, have had effects in terms of other health parameters, yeah. including, as an example, the number of people that have come forward to be tested for TB has declined by 50% in yeah. the five weeks. So we, no, we now need to accept that there's no getting away, just like the rest of the world. Like all other countries, the majority of other countries, it's unfortunately not getting away with some excess loss of life because of COVID-19. Uh, but we really need to balance it against co- preventing causing greater damage than what we're actually trying to prevent when it comes to COVID-19. The key question for me is, are we on the right trajectory at this stage? I mean, are we, are we heading in the right direction? But it doesn't just help to be going in the right direction because if you're on the highway and you, you're doing 40, uh, 40 kilometers per hour, you're not helping anyone under those circumstances, right? Nor do we need you to be doing 220. That is why we have the middle ground in terms of a decent uh, speed limit at 120 kilometers per hour. Are we traveling at 120 kilometers per hour or are we doing 40 on the highway? That for me is my concern at this stage. That's a good analogy, and I would say that we're doing around over 40 to 50, and we should be going up to 100, 120. Uh, we certainly need to be looking at phasing down to a level one. Uh, but again, it's unfortunate that people need to come to accept, and this is, this is perhaps a message that should have come out right at the start, is that South Africa was never going to be exceptional in terms of its ability to contain the virus. We do not have the type of resources that exist in Singapore, that exist in New Zealand, that exist in uh, South Korea. We did not have that type of resources. We, do not, we did not have that sort of a disaster management plan, which those countries that actually developed way back in 2012, not uh, in just for the past two or three months. Uh, so it, it comes with consequences. But again, we're not unique. We've, we've seen what, what's happened in the European countries. Mm. Uh, there are no countries that are immune, and that's what the pandemic is all about. And to believe that we can be exceptional and prevent uh, large numbers of people dying Unfortunately, that wouldn't be speaking to the reality. Uh, so I think we need to prepare ourselves for increase in terms of the number of cases. And it doesn't mean that we're going down to a lower level, that that increase is not going to take place. We might just as well go back to level four, level five, that increase will still take place. The only mm. thing that, we deter- that should determine whether we actually go up is not about the hotspot. It's about the ability of healthcare services to actually manage which is a good point i mean which which uh goes back to at least uh the way i mean for a while there i thought i was convinced that with the western cape i mean there's many things i was convinced by by what the president was going to tell us and and you know a couple of those things just simply didn't happen but the one thing i was convinced of was that we're going to hear that the western cape stays at level four but at least they're moving uh to level three with the rest of the country uh, especially based on that, uh, you know, little um, disclaimer uh, by the president initially saying to us that, listen, just because the country is going to level four doesn't mean everyone is going to go to level four. Uh, but but I, I hear what you're saying. Um, we can't sort of just uh, clamp down on these particular levels in an effort to try to restrain um, COVID-19. But Prof, I'll have to leave it there. It was a pleasure as always chatting to you. Thank you so much. Okay, pleasure. Thanks a lot. All the best. That was uh, Professor Shabir Mahdi.